Mike, the podcast producer here, welcoming you back to I Strenuously Object and part two of our game show, The Best Legal Movies of All Time, hosted by the Pittsburgh law firm of Flaherty Fardo, Rogel and Amick. Partners Noah Fardo and Bill Rogel have been submitting their picks for what they consider to be the best legal movies of all time. They get one minute to present their opening arguments, followed by rebuttals, movie clips, and all sorts of tomfoolery, and then I get to decide which film I think sounds like the better legal movie based on their arguments. It's been a lot of fun so far. At this point in the game, with two rounds played, the score is even. Bill won the first round with My Cousin Vinny, and Noah won the second round with The Rainmaker. So we're about to play three more rounds, and just a quick reminder that you, the listener, will get to choose from among the five winning movies which you think is the best of all time. Or you can criticize my choices or write in your own submission at I Strenuously Object Podcast on Instagram. So let's get back to the game and see which film deserves to be called the best legal movie of all time. All right, so for round three, Bill, what is your next film yeah mo- moving on from my uh my defeat in the second round f- for the first pick of the third round the eventual winning side selects liar liar all right <sighs> seriously uh, okay go ahead i knew this one was coming oh okay and this is one i've had i have seen so hopefully uh noah's will also be one i have seen to keep it even but if you're ready you can begin now I don't need a minute. I need Jim Carrey at his Jim Carreyest. It's amazing. It's over the top. It's completely ludicrous. It is so fun. And look, what's the hook here? Oh, it's a lawyer who can't tell a lie. I can't lie! I feel maligned by the hook, but the public perception is what the public perception is of our profession. The truth of the matter is he shouldn't be lying so much anyway. And, uh, you know, not to not to spoil the lesson at the end, but it turns out you can tell the truth as a lawyer and still win. That's it? It's all I need. With time to spare. You pick in the third round, Liar Liar, with Jim Carrey as your be- on your best legal movies of all time. That's the selection. That's right. I'm talking because I'm trying to get my head, grasp my head around it. It's funny. Dumb and Dumber is funny too. But number one, it's a movie you watch with your kids because they say just enough swear words that they feel like they're watching an R-rated movie. In terms of the best legal movies of all time, what is remotely entertaining legally about this movie other than Jim Carrey acting crazy like he always does? And I love Jim Carrey. Well, I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, First of all, what a gem for an attorney. The whole objection that Jim Carrey lodges. Your Honor, how can it be proved that the male voice on that tape is not Mr. Cole himself? You're such a better lover than my husband. Oh, my Your Honor, I object. And why is that, Mr. Reed? Because it's devastating to my case. Overruled. Good call. That's your clip as evidence that this is one of the best legal movies of all time? Oh, it is so good. How many lawyers have the instinct to object to damaging evidence when their basis is terrible? There are lessons here to be taught, right, about what bad lawyering looks like. Don't make an objection that's just going to draw attention um, to to the evidence that's bad for your case, right? Let that thing sit and lie. Uh, you can't make that sort of objection. But, you know, 
parody requires actual knowledge of the subject matter to get there, right? The reason that this works uh, is because people do object in ways that are baseless and groundless and are counterproductive to their case. It's a lesson we all need to learn. If you want to laugh, it's funny, but best legal movies, the lawyer, the lawyering or the acting for the lawyering, the actual lawyering is awful in this case, as just proven by your clip. Am I right? Well, I'll only give you one more on this point, and it's the it's the climactic, and I, I'm not spoiling anything for Mike because he's actually seen this one, so I don't mind. Uh, you know, the climactic uh, examination of the witness at the end, uh, where the truth sets him free. Mrs. Cole, is this a copy of your driver's license? Yes. It says here you're a blonde, are you? If you don't remember, perhaps Mr. Falk will. Brunette. We can play the tape again. Maybe it's on there. I'm a brunette. Thank you. Now, let's see. Weight 105? Yeah. In your bra. Your Honor, I object. You would. Bastard. Hey, quiet. Overruled. Wait. 118. All right, fine, fine. I'm 127. Uh-huh. And it says here you were born in 1964, but that's not true either, is it? Is it? No. Can you tell me what it says here on your birth certificate under date of birth? Your Honor, I object. What does this have to do with anything? Overruled. Mrs. Cole, answer the question. 1965. Now, let me get this straight. That would mean that you lied about your age to make yourself older. But why would any woman... Wanna do that? I changed it so I could get married. And the truth shall set you free! My client lied about her age. She was only 17 when she got married, which makes her a minor. And in the great state of California, no minor can enter into any legal contract without parental consent, including... Prenuptial agreements. Prenuptial agreements! This contract is void. The fact that my client has been ridden more than Seattle slew is irrelevant. Standard community property applies, and she is entitled to half of the marital assets or $11.395 million. Jordan fades back. Swoosh. And that's the game. Nothing further, Your Honor. Uh, and the, the overacting, it's, it, it's funny. Um, it's not something I want to watch more than once. And it's also politically incorrect because it dramatizes sleeping your way to the top. So I'm not even sure I'd recommend it to children these days. Every movie is a product of its time. You know, there's some there's some moments in there. There's some groaners. I'm not sure that it vindicates sleeping your way to the top. If anything, right at the end, his his realization that his client, even though they won the case, won on a technicality and shouldn't go for the win when it's bad for the interests of the children. She's not glorified in this. She wins on a technicality. They address that she wins on a technicality. Uh, you know, th- I, I, I think the judgment that they're casting on her is still pretty strong, even if she is the protagonist protagonist's client. Yeah. And look, I like the technicality that she wasn't 18 in order to enter into a contract, but wouldn't they have known that already? I mean, it really defies you know, your suspension of disbelief, I guess. I, All right. I mean, if that's your selection, I'm very happy. All right. Well, do me one better then. Well, I mean, I feel like if you're from Western Pennsylvania, Eliquippa routinely beats football team 66 to zero. You know, those kind of lopsided scores. And I feel like if you selected Liar Liar and I'm putting it against the 1982 winner for Best Picture, Best Director, 
and probably the best movie actor of all time, Paul Newman in The Verdict, you're going to lose 60 to 70 to nothing. Let me explain why. The Verdict probably should... Hold on. I'll let you explain why. Beginning now. Yeah, The Verdict is probably should be the number one legal mo- best legal movie of all time. Not just because of the accolades that it's received over 50, 40 years, but it has the best lawyer scenes in it and the most realistic lawyer scenes. Newman's an out of luck alcoholic who takes on this medical malpractice case that he has no business handling. Um, his, his expert who he has all lined up bails on him at the last minute because he's connected with the hospital, which is fully realistic. And there's a couple scenes in this movie that legitimize it as something you can watch over and over rather than just laughing for a few hours with Jim Carrey. This is a real legal movie. And the first one of those is, and you, I know you love this one, the interaction with the judge in Chambers. I'm going to write to the board of bar overseers about you today, fella. You're on your way out. They should have kicked you out in that Lillibridge case. Now, this is it today. I'm an attorney. I'm on trial before the bar representing my client. My client. You open your mouth, you're losing my case for me. Now, listen to me. No, you listen to me. All I want on this trial was a fair shake. Okay? Push me into court five days early. I lose my star witness, and I can't get a continuance, and I don't care. I'm going up there, I'm going to try it, I'm going to let the jury decide. You know, they told me about you. Said you're a hard ass, you're a defendant's judge. Well, I don't care. I said to hell with it, to hell with it. Look, Galvin, many years ago. Come on. Hey, don't give me that shit about you being a lawyer, too. I know about you. You couldn't hack it as a lawyer. You were a bag man for the boys downtown, and you still are. I know about you. Are you done? You're damn right I'm done. I'm going to ask for a mistrial. I'm going to request that you disqualify yourself from sitting on this case. I'm going to take a transcript of the trial to the Judicial Conduct Board and ask that they impeach your ass. You aren't going to get a mistrial, boy. We're going back there this afternoon and we're going to try this case to the end. Now you get out of here before I call a bailiff and have you thrown in jail. Bill, all we want is a fair trial. That is one of the most accurate legal scenes of how the reality of law that you will ever see. And and, And it makes me smile and I can watch it over and over. That's why it's great. Well done. That scene is realism. Who in your life has ever or would ever speak to a judge that way, even when the judge is wrong? The judge has the control over so many decisions in your case. There's a little bit of wish fulfillment, I guess, in there on your part, right? We've all had times where we feel like a judge maybe, you know, isn't giving us a fully fair shake, or at least it's coming across to a jury like the judge isn't giving us a fair shake, and we'd like to shout and scream and yell about it in in the hopes that our shouting and screaming about it might itself induce the basis for a mistrial and give us a chance to start over. In the end, what you're going to do is get your face sanctioned off. Uh, the good news is he probably won't ever have to be in front of this judge again because the, the drama that's occurring here is going to mean that judge is probably going to have to recuse himself from any further dealings with Paul Newman's character. I don't, that doesn't, <laughs> that is not, that is great drama. That is not realism. Well, look, I mean, the push me into court, no continuances, and it's not unrealistic. When you go to law school with, judges that you've known for 20, 25 years, you do speak to them sometimes more aggressively, aggressively. And that's not unrealistic in my opinion. I'm not, it, it, it gets close to the line, but that's, 
you know, it's one of my favorite scenes. So uh, the other clip I want to play in this and the other reason why I love the verdict is Frank's closing statement. We become weak. We doubt ourselves. We doubt our beliefs. We doubt our institutions. And we doubt the law. But today you are the law. You are the law. Not some book, not the lawyers, not a a marble statue or the trappings of the court. See, those are just symbols of our desire to be just. They are They are, in fact, a prayer. A fervent and a frightened prayer. In my religion, they say, act as if you had faith. Faith will be given to you. If. If we are to have faith in justice, We need only to believe in ourselves and act with justice. I believe there is justice in our hearts. You know, he's just phenomenal as a trial lawyer, and he's done consistently what you and I view as the most persuasive way to be a lawyer, which is calm, sincere, you know, and, and short. I mean, this is a two and a half minute closing in a medical malpractice case. That's probably a little bit short but it emphasizes what is more effective sometimes. You agree? Do I agree mostly? Uh, look, this is obviously very effective. Um, you know, it's it's what you get when you're, you know, writing dialogue for a movie instead of having to actually give a close that's going through the, the actual evidence adduced at trial and you just get to talk about values because, you know, the the audience for the movie has only been watching you know, the highlights of the trial for the last hour instead of having to remind jurors of something that happened a week ago um, that they may have otherwise forgotten and not understood the importance of. Um, the way he uses silence in the course of that is Correct. brilliant. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not sure if that level of self-indulgence in an actual closing is a good idea. The jury's going to resent you unless you're actually as good as Paul Newman is. Uh, if you're trying to do that and failing, you're going to you're going to come off in, in a way that's going to be problematic for you. you. You can't preach big ideals and hanging silences uh, if you can't back it up. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I don't have anything bad to say about that. I guess my only my only point when you compare the two, you talk about rewatchability. Uh, man, I'd watch Flyer Liar a dozen times over before sitting through the verdict again. It's it's good. It's not fun. It's not a place where I want to spend my time most of the time. Um, it's not something that I enjoy ten minutes of and then can walk away from the way you can Liar Liar. So, you know, two different sorts of movies. I think they're both good at what they are, but uh, I I will happily keep uh, keep my pick where it is. Two very different sorts of movies. You've made this round very difficult for me, guys, because I have seen both these movies, and I love both these movies. Like Bill, though, I have seen Liar Liar multiple times. I recall seeing the verdict one time and thinking it was fantastic, but I've never watched it again. You've got two consummate actors at the top of their game 
two very different actors, two very different styles of, of acting, obviously, and making this very difficult to judge. Before I do make my judgment, though, I want to say, is this really, are we doing the best legal movies, the best movies about lawyers, or just the best movies with a lawyer in it? I think we can be pretty flexible uh, on that and not have to really make it all about, you know, the legal proceedings. Although that is a that is a big that part of yield it. to the discussion of whether we should be strict constructionists or not. You know, the title of the podcast is the best legal movies of all time. And I think we should stick to the title. It's not the best movies about lawyer. It's not the funniest legal movie. It's the best legal movies of all time. But the best legal movies of all time does not mean the most legally legal movies of all time. No, it means you have to consider Academy Awards. All it means is you have to be legal enough to qualify as a legal movie. And beyond that, it's a qualitative judgment. And you assume Rounders is a legal movie by that definition. I mean, assuredly, if you're opening it up that way, yeah. I mean, okay. I guess I'm going to be taking the same stance as the Academy Awards, which rarely, if ever, gives the award to comedy movies. I'm declaring the verdict as the better legal movie. The verdict is certainly a more important movie with a capital I. And I know that can sound pretentious, but it is so profound and explores some very important aspects of the law and justice, whereas Liar Liar is a farce. Now, it's a completely rewatchable and enjoyable farce, to be sure, but it ultimately doesn't treat the legal parts of the film seriously enough, in my opinion, to be one of the best legal movies of all time even though I watch it over and over again, too, whenever I come across it like, like Bill does. And that's my verdict on round three. I will note my exception for the record. I object, Your Honor. And by four or five touchdowns, I'll add as well. That is your opinion, sir. Two to one, feeling good, Bill. Ready for the next. All right, we're moving on to round four. All right, so we're in the fourth round here. There's, and now you, we start getting more choices, I think, Bill. I mean, you throw in uh, what you said, Rounders was a legal movie. You can go back to The Firm. You can go to Philadelphia, People vs. Larry Flint, a civil action. I mean, there's a lot of good choices left out there. There are. I mean, I, I, I'm i not sure Rounders is legally enough to qualify. Man, do I want it to. I'd like to pick it. But. Even go Michael Clayton or Primal Fear. Right. These are all these are all legal dramas. Good ones. But I, I think I have another classic. And maybe I'm showing my age, but legal movies that withstand the test of time, I think should be on the best legal movies of all time. The one word we're forgetting is of all time. So when you start introducing more recent movies and calling them better than something that's been around for generations, I, you know, I think it's persuasive on our end, or at least my end. Um, I think I know what you're going to say, but I'm not going to say it. I think I can predict it. So I almost don't even want to select this bill because if I win this round, it takes out the drama of the fifth round. So I feel like, you know, unless there's some shenanigans going on behind the scenes, it's going to be pretty easy to prevail. I don't think you need to throw it on my account. With my fourth round selection, I am selecting the 1979 Al Pacino and Justice for All. Um, bill, you familiar with it? I am. Are you ready? I am ready. Yes. All right. Begin. Al Pacino, John Forsyth, Jack Warden, who was also Paul Newman's sidekick in The Verdict, um, 
Pacino's a defense lawyer, and he's representing a judge who was accused of murder, who is actually guilty. Um, and in terms of entertainment, probably has t- uh, up there with the top five greatest legal scenes of all time. But the reason why this movie belongs in the best legal movies of all time is it has withstood the test of time. It has Al Pacino, and it has legal drama of the highest nature. So let me play first. You will have 17 seconds left when we return. So in this opening, you're going to have Coach, who's also in these movies. The best legal movies (laughs) cross-reference actors. But he goes first and then Pacino. Let's listen. Your Honor, Mr. Foreman, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, my name is Arthur Kirkland, and I am the defense counsel for the defendant, Judge Henry T. Fleming. Now, that man over there, he's the prosecuting attorney. And he couldn't be happier today. He is a happy man today because today he's going after a judge. And if he gets him, if he gets him, he's going to be a star. He's going to have his name in this month's law review, Centerfold, (laughs) Lawyer of the Month. Now, in order to win this case, he needs you, naturally. You're all he's got, believe me. So he's counting on tapping that emotion in you, which says, let's get somebody in power. Let's get a judge. However, these proceedings are not about that. These proceedings are here to see that justice is done. And justice is, as any reasonable person would tell you, the finding of the truth. And what is the truth today? One truth, a tragic one, is that that girl has been beaten and raped. Another truth is that the prosecution doesn't have a witness, does not have one piece of substantiating evidence other than the testimony of the victim herself. Another truth is that my client voluntarily, and the prosecution is well aware of this fact, voluntarily took a lie detector test. Objection, Your Honor, that's inadmissible evidence. What? Come on, Arthur. Told the truth. The jury will disregard that remark. Polygraph tests have not been proven 100% reliable, therefore inadmissible in a court of law. Sorry, Your Honor. Let's get back to justice. All right, so this was Al Pacino's opening. And he's he's this great, confident lawyer. And then the evolution of the movie, and I think the excitement of the movie, is what happens to him from a crisis of conscience that could happen to any lawyer. And that's why I think it deserves to be on the best legal movies of all time. Okay, so you asked and I answered, am I familiar with this movie? And that answer is yes. I have not seen it all the way through. Um, I'm familiar with what has to be the most famous and well-known part of the movie, which I gather is Al Pacino's closing argument slash getting hauled off um, out of the courtroom as he turns on his client uh, and famously uh, famously goes uh, goes full Pacino, uh, telling everyone that they're they're out of order. That's the only part of this movie I'm familiar with. Um, and it's great. It's great. But uh you know, watching a, an attorney self-immolate 
um, and <laughs> go go out of the profession with such a plum. Um, it's it is not exactly a crash course in legal realism, is it? Well, but that's the great, great part about this movie is the evolution and changes and what brings him to this climax. Being an experienced trial attorney and not seeing this movie and being such a movie buff as well, I'm kind of surprised, to be frank. What defense can I offer for myself there? I suppose only this, you've seen <laughs> that I've trended more heavily towards comedies. Um, generally speaking, where legal dramas fall flat for me is to make the trial sufficiently dramatic, you have to take a lot of liberties with actual civil procedure and the way trials work. That's okay. I understand why you do it. And the kind of modified movie world version of what trials look like is a good vehicle for delivering drama and you know, great monologues and speeches. And there's a reason that it's a tool everyone relies upon. Um, as an attorney, I am generally distracted by the the flaws and the realism problems such that I cannot appreciate the, the kind of more general dramatic elements. In a comedy, I'm less caught up in those sorts of things. Uh, I'm not worried about them being particularly realistic in the way that they, they, they kind of proceed through the, the development of the case. So, I don't know. I guess it's legal dramas in particular, though I don't completely avoid them and like some number of them. They, they aren't exactly the genre of movie I draw most deeply from. I've seen a lot of Pacino movies. I just haven't seen this one. Yeah. I mean, when you think about best legal movies of all time, to me, it's something involving the law that moves you in a very dramatic way. And Justice for All certainly does that. Let's play the closing scene. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I have a case to end all cases. I have witnesses for my client. I have character references, testimonials that are backed up from here to Washington, D.C. I got lie detector tests that are... Objection! Objection! Objection sustained. Sit down, Frank. Mr. Kirkland, you are out of order. The one thing that bothered me the one thing that stayed in my mind and I couldn't get rid of it, that haunted me, was why. Why would she lie? What was her motive for lying? If my client is innocent, she's lying. Why? Was it blackmail? Was it jealousy? No. Yesterday, I found out why. She doesn't have a motive. You know why? Because she's not lying. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. My client, the Honorable Henry T. Fleming, should go right to fucking jail. The son of a bitch is guilty. That man is guilty. If he's allowed to go free, then something really wrong is going on. Mr. Kirkland, you are out of order. You're out of order. You're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. They're out of order. 
That man, that crazy, depraved man, raped and beat that woman there, and he likes to do it again. He told me so. It's just to show. It's a show. It's let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. Hey, Frank, you want to make a deal? I got an insane judge who likes to beat the shit out of women. What do you want to give me, Frank? Three weeks probation? Damn it! You, you son of a bitch, you. You're supposed to stand for something. You're supposed to protect people, but instead you fucking murder them. You kill McCullough. You kill them. Hold it. Hold it. I've just completed my opening statement. <laughs> hey, that that is without a doubt, I think, the greatest legal scene of all time. But you have you have Pacino at his best. I mean, look at Pacino at just look at him as a lawyer in the devil's advocate, which was your second round selection versus this. And then obviously the transformation from the opening to closing Pacino and his extremes entertainment, the law lawyer. It's phenomenal. I'm pretty sure you can draw the through line from this version of Pacino through scent of a woman where he, kind of does some of the same courtroom mechanics uh, up to the guy in, in the devil's advocate, right? He's kind of, he's, he's moving up the chain, I guess, of the, of the corporate law firm, but it's a great scene. The only other thing I want to note, note on injustice for all, you know, how effective Pacino's opening statement was too. I mean, anytime you can curry favor with a jury where you're talking naturally and you're laughing and people in the, not only in the jury are laughing, but people in the courtroom are laughing. That's a great feeling. And, you know, that's that comfort level that, you know, at least I try to connect to and you try to emulate. So seeing him Pacino pull it off, phenomenal. I guess it depends on what the it is. Uh, I mean, there's a hundred percent chance this leads to a mistrial, right? Um, like, this defendant's not getting convicted after his attorney does that. That's a great take. That's a great take that I never thought of. Hopefully his character feels good about what he got off his chest there because all he did was get to get it off his chest and then win himself a new trial. Well, you can't tell me to go watch the Simpsons, which I refuse to watch Don't. or She-Hulk, which I will not watch. Still in control and the overwhelming feelings of rage. No, a normal amount of rage. I can't believe you haven't seen um, Injustice for All. And I can tell you, is, are you interested in seeing it, Bill? Yeah, reasonably so. OK, so it's Bill's turn. And, you know, like the choice of a few good men. And Justice for All also has a very iconic line. It's very much in pop culture. I'm wondering what Bill's going to go up against this one with. Well, for my fourth round selection, with Noah having decided to waive, you know, kind of awards and recognitions and critical reception and, you know, just duration of old age around as a, as a badge of honor here, um, I'm going to go back even further into film history and I will give you 12 Angry Men. And begin. So 12 Angry Men is a 1957 film, but film is a bit of a stretch, by which I mean this is basically a filmed stage production, um, and it is acted accordingly. Everyone who's in it, it's just a phenomenal job. Uh, for those broadly speaking unfamiliar with the approach, basically the whole movie takes sense 
takes place in the jury room as they're deliberating uh, in a murder trial. And, you know, at the first time through, they're taking a vote to see where everyone stands and whether they think the, the defendant is guilty, and it's 11 to 1. And so begins the process of the one holdout juror, Henry Fonda, in this case, just working the facts of the case and convincing his fellow jurors one by one that there is at least a reasonable doubt here about what happened. It's a psychological drama. Uh, you, you know, they're, they are better lawyers and Henry Fonda in particular is a better lawyer than any lawyer you're going to find out there. You know, it, it only lost best picture because it was up against bridge of the river Kwai that year. Um, it is just a classic beyond classics. I mean, the only thing I'll give you respect for is at least going back in time a little bit and just not jumping on the L train or the popular train with some of your selections. But uh, I respect the decision. It's a great movie. It's not one of the best legal movies of all time because it's a little bit like panic room where you have these 12 people in the room and it it, it, it sort of gets, I think it's just very played. So played. (laughs) And I don't think it has the entertainment value of injustice for all. I mean, you're not looking away at the screen when you see Pacino. Um, good movie, middle of the lineup, maybe bats five, six, or seven, you know, in your lineup is going to hit 280, but hangs around for a long career, plays 24 years in the bigs. And I think that's what this selection is. You, you use the phrase played out, which is interesting here. Um, <laughs> I'm reminded as a somewhat non sequitur of how I felt the first time I read read Dracula because the book sets up like there's these big dramatic reveals, right? Like, ah, he looked in the mirror and there was no reflection. You're like, well, of course there's no reflection. He's a vampire. Like we know Dracula, but the book was the reason that that seeped so far into popular culture that now we all know it without it being able to have that kind of dramatic effect. This is of course a, a very clear example of, you know, what it would be like to kind of do a bottle episode in movie form where everyone's just in this room and you just rely on the force of your actors and the facts and the dialogue without bells and whistle whistles and cinematography and all like any of that flashy stuff. I don't think that stuff can ever be played out. What I do think can be played out is and, and again, this may have been the first example of it, but like we've seen that, that Al Pacino performance a bunch of times since then. Um, and maybe that's not fair that it loses some of its effect, but to really go back and look at the subtleties, like the way this, the way this particular movie is acted, um, you know, the fact that it can keep you drawn in when it's just you and, and, and the way it makes you feel like that hot, sweaty room, you want to get out of there. Like a juror wants to get out of there. Now you question whether or not it's a top legal movie. And I would simply submit as far as making the drama being about, the law, the facts of a case, the mechanism for coming to a decision, what the heck reasonable doubt even means. That is, I think, a movie that's more about the law and the legal system and what justice means and what the role of a juror who's a part of that justice system means. And and I think that's why it, it rates the top, right? I think that's why it is on this list. Let me play something for you. This is the trailer from 12 Angry Men. On the point of that night, a man's life is at stake. I'm just saying it's possible. And I say it's not possible. Here's what I think happened. How can he be positive about anything? I don't understand you people. I mean, all these picky little points you keep bringing up, they don't mean nothing. You are going to try a man for murder. 
the awesome power to kill will suddenly be thrust into your hands. Watch them and pray, for someday you may become one of them. Twelve men with the smell of violent death in their nostrils. What's the matter with you guys? You're letting them slip through our fingers. Slip through our fingers? Are you his executioner? You cut it. Ever since you walked into this room, you've been acting like a self-appointed public avenger. Shut up. You're a sadist. Twelve men turned into twelve clawing animals. All right, let me chime in on this. Okay. I love Henry Fonda. All right. But this movie is old. Damn it, Blue is old. That's what old people do. They die. You're my boy, Blue! This movie is so old that it's not you, you it's not even real. Um, and I, I I don't know if I should go there or not, but I want to keep it real. It looks entirely racist to me based on the trailer. I mean, it looks like a maybe I'm just more woke now. I mean, that's possible. But I look at this and the first thing I think is this was the best, you know, this is one of the best legal movies of all time. So I, I have an issue. That's not a reflective. A jury is supposed to be reflective of your peers. Is that the only people that existed in 1954? Because I don't think that's true. So I got problems with this movie, and I have no desire um, to see it. I got a lot of problems with you people. Okay, so you haven't seen the movie. No, I bullshitted my way through it earlier. No, no, you no, usually okay. catch me on that, but no, I... You've watched the trailer. Maybe maybe subconsciously I knew there was an issue with this movie, and now it just took me watching the trailer to see what it was. Well, well, right. So addressing the racism in the jury room is one of the things that actually comes up as an important plot point, but it's condemned. Yes, it's a jury full of white guys in the room, right? And um, that is specifically addressed. One of, one of the characters kind of dramatically ends up kind of admitting uh, his shortcomings in this regard. I, you know, I, I, you're, the thing you're lobbing at the movie is criticism. Look, you know, the, it's always tricky when you're dealing with something from back in the 50s. Uh, it is not a remarkably diverse cast, nor would a jury of that era have been a particularly diverse cast of characters either in most places. If you that's like, a- it, it looks to me like if you liked Westerns or John Wayne, that that's what you'd go watch right now. I, I don't know that uh, those aren't, don't seem very popular or interesting to me. I think that, <laughs> that, um, that, Al Pacino in 1979 is just about as old at this point as a, as a 1958, uh, you know, film. And I, I, you know, there's more subtlety in the acting for sure. Um, Pacino's real though. I mean, Pacino and you know, the other thing I want to add, we're talking about these presentations by the trial lawyers, jurors, don't they want to see a movie? I mean, isn't that what they're expecting to see a movie? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's one of the problems with the whole field, right? Jurors go into a trial with an unrealistic expectation because all the boring dotting I's and crossing T's stuff that has to happen at a trial never goes on screen. And the jurors have to sit there and watch you mark 13 different exhibits and watch the same piece of evidence come in because you have to satisfy the strict legal elements of the case. Yeah, of course, jurors come in with an unrealistic expectation in that regard. One of the things I do note, I think that's an important uh, dividing line between these movies and the era of them. And you can talk about like the sixties and seventies and how that changed, right? 12 angry men is still fundamentally a movie about 
optimism in the justice system, right? Um, that one man can make a difference, that one person in that jury room can still convince the others, and that real justice and truth can be done through our system. It acknowledges the difficulty in that, right? It's not it's not quite the cartoon depictions of the law that you might see from, you know, movies from the 30s or something where, where the lawyer is a stand-in for kind of justice itself. Here, a juror has to do that job. Um, but I think a diff- one of the reasons that you describe 12 Angry Men as old in a way that you don't for Injustice for All, I submit is a positive and something that is still a, a, a thing worth remembering when judging legal movies. Um, not every legal movie has to be about the brokenness of the justice system, the crisis of conscience that an attorney has to have. Uh, you know, here there was justice available in the system. The jurors made the right decision and there was drama in that and there was difficulty in that, but there's nobility in that. Uh, you know, it's not just Al Pacino having a breakdown and, and there's some stuff that happened in the course of American history that changed the way that we viewed our justice system. You know what? Right? You're, you're good. And I listen to you, but it, to me, it's like the masters advertising their charitable donations. Look how good we are right? You're still the master. Certain people aren't allowed into your club. That's how I'm viewing this. But, you know, I respect your ideas and opinions. Mike? I I have nothing more to add. Again, you've given me a difficult choice here. Uh, I do consider myself somewhat of a film buff, and I am a filmmaker, but there are big gaps in my knowledge uh, of films, uh, films I just haven't seen. Big ones, too. Um, And Justice for all, which really should be called and a mistrial for all, uh, is one of those. Give yourself a ding. (laughs) And is this the movie you were thinking of? No, you still haven't gotten to the movie I'm thinking of. I I hope it comes up. Um, You talk about 12 Angry Men being an old movie and that the acting seems somewhat stiff and stilted. And it was a stage play filmed as a movie. And it does have that sort of stage acting feel to it. But personally, I've always felt that Al Pacino was not the most realistic actor either. I always think of him as an overactor. Do I enjoy watching him? I very much do. But I don't think he's a realistic actor compared to so many other actors. Um, I do want to call out the uh, gallery and the jury in Injustice for All with a perfect murmur, murmur in the background when that uh, one line was delivered. That was a perfect oh my oh dear oh, oh oh my oh heavens to betsy in the background spoken like a sound engineer beautiful beautifully done should go right to fucking jail the son of a bitch is guilty this is going to be a very personal decision for me because i being a film buff i love bottle episodes of everything i think bottle episodes are some of the the greatest Movies and TV shows, you've got Lifeboat, you've got Breakfast Club, you've got Death and the Maiden. Uh, Every time a TV sitcom character gets locked in a closet with somebody else, you've got a bottle episode. And I always love those. I want to make an amendment to the rules at this stage, if that's okay, that there is allowed to be a tie. I mean, if somebody truly believes these two movies are equal, that they should be, Mike should be allowed to do that. Are you okay with that proposal, Bill? I believe the desperation of that proposal speaks for itself. Uh, but uh, it's a proposal. It's on the table. I've motioned it, and and do you agree or disagree? I do- I don't object to the proposal. I don't see a tie coming here. <laughs> I don't object to it either. In the case that there is an actual tie, but you're right, a tie is not coming here. I I have to go with Twelve Angry Men because I think it's one of the great films of all time. Yes, it is of its time. Uh, it it does. 
address racism, but it also defeats racism. And that's what I think is important about 12 Angry Men. And, it, and in that sense, it was a little bit ahead of its time. So here we go with round five. Uh, this is the final round. And let me mention, let me remind you that it's a tie so far, two to two. It's a straight up tie. So this is going to be the tiebreaker. With my fifth pick, what I'm going to do is I'm going to accomplish the victory that the lawyer in this movie is unable to actually accomplish. And I'm going to pick To Kill a Mockingbird. If you're ready and begin. To Kill a Mockingbird, look, there's, there's not a lot of lighthearted fun to be had with the subject matter here. A few things to note, however. First of all, I didn't realize uh, that the movie came out just two years after the book was published. Um, this was, it feels like old IP now, but it was fresh and new and important at the time it happened. The other thing is Atticus Finch is Rocky. Um, Atticus Finch puts on a noble fight for a good cause and wins over a lot of people and embodies his ideas. Uh, but he loses, he loses the title fight. Um, what I'd like to do is play the, the clip of his closing argument here. The defendant is not guilty, but somebody in this courtroom is. Now, gentlemen, in this country, our courts are the great levelers. In our courts, all men are created equal. I'm no idealist to believe firmly in the integrity of our courts and of our jury system. That's no ideal to me. That is a living, working reality. I am confident that you gentlemen will review without passion the evidence that you have heard, come to a decision, and restore this man to his family. In the name of God. That's my favorite part. In the name of God. Believe. Tom Robinson. So, the thing to point out, again, we know he loses. So it's this high wire act between convincing you when you hear it of the, the real justice in the justice system and what it can be, but not a blind optimism, right? The result doesn't come out. They, they do not in fact, quote unquote, do their duty, but it makes you who watches it want to do yours. Um, and being able to not be naive, but still ring a note of optimism, even with that outcome that understands what the legal system is, but also what it can be. That was way over time, but I will allow it because you were really making a great point there. So, any rebuttal, um, Noah? All right. Let me preface this first in response by saying I'm not sure that we have a fair and impartial juror. All right. I mean, sometimes the judge will allow a nurse on a medical malpractice case that potentially works for UPMC. And we're, they're going to give us a fair shot. Now, sometimes it's true. They hate their employers and it works to our benefit. But it's like a high, low type scenario. And Mike already in his mind for the whole two hours here has been talking about, you guys haven't named my movie. And then when he says, for the love of God, 
that's my favorite line. So how fair of a shot do I really have? You are absolutely right. This puts extra pressure on you for your final film. But I can I hope to, without passion, review the evidence. Noah, no excuses. Play like a champion. Rule number 76, no excuses. Play like a champion. Okay, so a couple things. First, Bill's recommendation is that it's not lighthearted. It was based off a book and he loses. That's the selling points that he gave you. Now, To Kill a Mockingbird is a classic. And it sounds great. But when you look at the substance of the film, um, the closing argument was par- it wasn't. It didn't move me. You're talking about a man's life, and the best argument, legal argument, Bill. Stay with me. The best legal argument is believe my man. Well, where's the evidence? I mean, you're going to get your guy convicted if that's your legal argument. But let me do something with you, Bill. Let me ask you a few questions. Um, how many times have you seen this movie? Twice. And did you read the book? I did. I saw I saw it uh, a live performance on stage as well. And is this a movie that you think people like could on a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon sit down and thoroughly enjoy? Or is it more in the realm of it's a wonderful life where it's a classic and we love it, but it's played? Jerry, buddy, I got to tell you something. That voice is played. Really? Look, one of the things that I think sets To Kill a Mockingbird apart on the rest of this list is that it's a capital I important movie uh, in terms of American history and in a way that none of the other things we have mentioned is. Obviously, with that comes some baggage, right? It's not exactly a rip-roaring good time when you want to sit down and have movie date night. Um, So, you know, you may not want to do this on every Friday, but every once in a while, you know, when when you want to kind of take seriously um, you know, justice and, you know, the, the various racial problems that we have as a country and as a people. Yeah. I think this is a, a place to see it. And I think it's, you know, it's the, it's the face that launched a thousand ships as far as people who went into the law as really an avenue, uh, to, to try to bring about justice, to fix the brokenness of the system. Now, um, you know, I tend to think that's a good thing. Most people aren't necessarily sure that, uh, you know, proliferation in the number of lawyers is a, a positive move for the country. But, um, but I, you know, I do. And at least, you know, lawyers who really want to do right. Well, wait, wait a second. And how would you rate the entertainment value of To Kill a Mockingbird? Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? I don't know. It's, you know, it's like a seven or an eight. It's paced slowly as many older films are. Um, it requires a little bit of patience, but it, it engages you intellectually. There's a bunch of outside of the courtroom action, uh, that's, you know, that can be a little bit lighter and a little bit more fun, right? Like scouts, a fun character. Atticus is not, that's okay. Can you name the actual actors? Can you name a couple actors in the movie for me? Uh, Gregory Peck, Gregory Peck played Atticus. It's the only actor I know in the movie. He won, he won best actor for it. Um, it was nominated for best picture. It didn't win, but no, I, I don't know anyone else who's in this movie. All right. So how would you rate somebody looking to see this movie under star power? I mean, I, it's a little before my time. I think Gregory Peck was a pretty big star. Uh, you know, so like a you know, four or five, it's a, it's a one man show in terms of star power but it's not nothing. And can you give the, uh, you know, potential viewer any examples in the movie regarding its legal accuracy? Well, uh, yes, I can. And I'll give you this specifically. 
the key moment at the trial, the thing that really seals the fate uh, of, of Atticus's client, Tom Robinson here, the, the defendant who's on trial, is when he is unable to contain himself. He was clearly advised by his lawyer not to say he felt sorry for a white woman because that would not play in front of that jury. And he tries and he tries. And on cross-examination, they eventually get him to admit the reason that he went in there to help, which is that he felt sorry for her. And that was it, right? Atticus knew going in that he couldn't say that in front of a white jury. He was told not to say that. And he wasn't able to control the emotions in that moment and told the truth, said what happened, you know, as a lawyer who has had clients uh, fail to restrain themselves uh, or not follow clear advice when giving testimony, that can do it. That can sink your case. It did there. So, you know, I, I, I think that's a real element of legal realism. Any others just out of curiosity? I mean, I like that example. I think it's a good example. Um, any others? Look, it's not a process-heavy movie. Like, the key realism is simply the historical fact of the the impossibility of getting a fair trial at that time and in that circumstance. And that, by the way, was a contemporary time for when the movie came out. We look at it now and think about it in, in terms of at that time. Uh, but that's not what the movie is saying. The movie is talking about a problem that existed then and, you know, exists to a different in a different way and to a lesser degree now. Right. Justice still isn't even handed, uh, you know, but it's it, it's not the Jim Crow South um, the way that this movie was. Yeah, I mean, it's exploring race. That's what I understand, correct? Yes. In your movies, 12 Angry Men and To Kill a Mockingbird, how much time do they actually spend in the courtrooms? Well, in 12 Angry Men, virtually none. They read a jury charge. But after that, you're just in the uh, in the jury room, in the jury deliberation room for the entire time. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird... There are some pivotal court scenes, you know, if I had to approximate it, what, 15% of the runtime, 20% of the runtime is in some form or fashion, like in a courtroom, eliciting testimony or giving argument. And in, and in both of these movies, neither portrays depositions or explains the entire legal process. Is that correct? Uh, well, no, that that's correct. Okay. Thank you. All right. Very well done, guys. Um, so we are ready for our final movie of the day. Noah's going to present his final entry. And you have one minute for your elevator pitch. All right. With my fifth selection, I'm picking a movie that I think could very easily be number one on the best legal films of all time. And that's a civil action. 1998 movie, star-studded. And begin. Why it's a great legal film is because it talks about two issues that are prevalent if you're a personal injury lawyer, if you're in civil litigation, and that's talking about how you value plaintiffs and what is truth in a courtroom. I don't think there's a single movie that has sent more people to law school than a civil action. Have you seen a civil action, Bill? Many years ago. Uh, was it the reason you went to law school? Um, no. No, I, I didn't go to law school because of a civil action or any movie. I um, I went to law school because I wasn't a good enough athlete to be a professional athlete. <laughs> okay, but let me play one of these clips first. It's like this. A dead plaintiff is rarely worth as much as a living, severely maimed plaintiff. However, if it's a long, agonizing death as opposed to a 
quick drowning or car wreck, the value can rise considerably. A dead adult in his 20s is generally worth less than one who is middle-aged, a dead woman less than a dead man, a single adult less than one who's married, black less than white, poor less than rich. The perfect victim is a white male professional, 40 years old, at the height of his earning power, struck down in his prime. And the most imperfect? Well, in the calculus of personal injury law, a dead child is worth the least of all. This case and how it analyzes the reality of what is, what is known but rarely said, that lives are not equal. And that's, you know, this movie has lived with me for 20 plus years because I'm, we're dealing with the value of lives. And I've never understood how you value a disabled child less than a healthy child how you value certain races less than other races. It blows my mind. Hey, Bill, I'm going to play one of my favorite all-time clips from a civil action. And it's Robert Duvall, who's a phenomenal, who's the defense attorney in this case. Um, great portrayal of a lawyer. And John Travolta, who's the plaintiff's lawyer. And they're sitting outside this courtroom while they're waiting for a motion for summary judgment. I mean, they really dive into the legal aspects in this movie. And while we don't know what the judge is going to dismiss the case or keep the case in, they're sitting outside and they're talking. And Duvall, the defense lawyer, very calm, says, hey, how can we get this resolved? And this is what happens. If that's a settlement offer, Jerry, it's not enough. That's not what I hear. Oh, uh, Uh, talking. the IRS telling us they have a lien on any eventual settlement in order to recover over two and a half million dollars in unpaid taxes. Uh, All right. What if I were to add six zeros onto that? That's right. That would be, what, $20 million. Now, (laughs) that would put things in perspective for you, wouldn't it, as far as truth and justice and and dead children go? If you want to talk seriously about a settlement offer, let's get the decision-makers together and talk seriously. The decision-makers are here, aren't they? I mean, you're looking at Mr. Beatrice. I mean, I don't have to call anybody, do you? (laughs) It's just you and me. We're like kings. We are kings. Sitting in our castle, deciding important things. Deciding the fates of others. And counting money in our counting room. tell you what, I'll leave this here, I'll go back down the hall to my throne room, and I'll await your decision. Well, if you're really looking for the truth, Jan, look for it where it is, at the bottom, the bottom split. So when you listen to that scene, you have to, you have to watch that. You have to listen to it a couple times. There's a couple things he says in there. A courtroom is no place to find truth, right? Um, this case stopped being about eight dead kids the minute it entered the justice system. Not to mention the background story that this personal injury lawyer puts everything, they all mortgage their houses. They're fighting the huge chemical companies. It's David versus Goliath. They've invested everything they have. He does go bankrupt. It is a true story. It's a true story. And do you agree? Let me ask you this, because I talked too long. Do you agree that truth has nothing to do with the justice system? Uh, No, of course not. Um, 
obviously the justice system, like a lot of other things that try to embody ideals, falls short of those ideals a lot. And the justice system in many ways more than most. I am not some wide-eyed idealist who believes that we're going in there to find capital T truth. Um, I find it interesting. And let me ask you this, because it's been so long since I've seen this movie. As I recall... I don't remember if it's through verdict or through settlement or whatever, but the plaintiffs are successful here. Yes. Uh, not really. There's a nominal settlement. And I want to play one more scene with Sidney Pollack. Who I just love Sidney Pollack. I don't know if he passed or not. I think he did. I've always loved him though. And he was a great director as well. Great director, great actor. Let me play that scene first. Cause that's talks about the resolution of the case. Sorry, I'm late. I'm I got lost. You got lost. Yes. How'd you manage that? Well, I've never been here before. So, Never been here before. What kind of a Harvard man are you? The Cornell kind. Cornell? Mm. Wait, I, I thought you went to Harvard. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure somebody said that. Yeah, somebody said you went to Harvard. You? Mm. Cornell. Yes. Well, listen, Cornell is a, is a damn good school. Damn good. So, what do you want? Well, um... I could take you through it step by step, or if you prefer, you could uh, take this with you, study it. It's it's a little uh, complicated, but I'm sure... It's an unspoken rule of the Harvard Club, Jan. Business is never transacted here. I meant, what'd you want to drink? I wanted to reach across the table and strangle him with his tie. But instead, I sat there for two hours and listened to him talk about selling his yacht and... Long Island Sound. You know, sometimes I, uh, sometimes I actually prefer the little one, the thirty-five footer. You know, it's because I can crew it myself. I, mm. I could be all by myself out there alone. And boy, it's magnificent. I mean, there's no, nobody can call you, nobody can beep you, nobody can fax you. There's, mm. there's no lawsuits. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You sail, huh? No. You don't sail. Finally, we went to his office. Well, let's go over here and sit down for a second. Come on, it's more comfortable. Come on, have a seat. He, he, he comes around the desk. He sits down. Go ahead, sit down. He puts his feet up on the spindly French antique thing. And he tells me to put my feet up. Put your feet up, come on. I don't want to. No, thank you. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, really, I'm fine. Nothing's going to break. It's all right. Come on, put them up. It was weird. There was all this talk about my, my putting my feet on this table. It's all right. I mean it. Try it. Come on, put the feet up. Okay. There. Now, let's be honest. I can afford to pay you almost anything you ask. It's not the money. It's what a settlement that high says. It says we're guilty. And that says to every two-bit personal injury lawyer in Boston, hey, let's run up to Woburn and sign up every jerk with a head cold. It creates a shark effect. And that I can't afford. Give me a number. Well, I'm not going to negotiate with myself, Al. I'm not going to just throw out numbers so you can say no to them. You'll have to come up with a number. Eight million. Eight million? He said eight million? Mm-hmm. Eight million. I can't go to the families with that. Wait, what? Who? What families? 
I can't go to them empty-handed. What are you talking about? Since when is $8 million empty-handed? $8 million is a lot of money. I owe them more than that. You owe them? What do you owe them? What do you owe them? You owe them your career? We're talking about our careers here. You owe them that much? We're talking about our families here. That's what we're talking here, you know. Our families, Jan. Don't do it. Don't go for broke on this one. It isn't worth it, Jan. I love that scene. I mean, let me break that down for you, Bill. I want to break down that a little bit. You've been to negotiations and settlement conferences before, correct? Uh, I mean, I think so. <laughs> and you need to break down what actually happened here. So he's already turned down $20 million from Duval, who slid the $20 bill across the table and said, I don't need to talk to anybody else. What if I added six zeros to it? Now that now things are getting worse, they're, they're almost bankrupt. He invites them to the Harvard Club. He ridicules them, which is all part of the negotiation tactic, which you have to appreciate. He says, oh, you, you didn't go to Harvard? He said, you didn't sail? Um, takes him to his office, and I love this, puts him in a little wooden chair while he's real comfortable on the couch, right? It's always the positioning, all of these little things that people don't think about are part of the law, but this is exactly what happens. Um, but I love the ending where he says, don't go for broke. You know, $8 million is still a lot of money. Tell me you didn't enjoy that scene. Uh, a couple things. It's a great scene. Um, one, I'm no longer convinced I've seen this movie before. None of that rung familiar to me. Uh, two, Sometimes you encounter a line that you want to just immediately adopt into your regularly used uh, lexicon of quotes, and you know what I'm talking about, you sail, uh, is a line that I hope I remember to begin using in my day-to-day -day life. It's tremendous. <laughs> that is a great line. But listen, the reality of what lawyers who go to law school, if they want to watch a movie about you know what's law really like, it's a civil action. They need to watch it. This is what happens in negotiations. People are arrogant. They try to gain leverage in every way. Well, look, let's not hold this up as an absolute bastion of realism, right? I don't know what the actual rules at the Harvard Club in this regard or whatever are. Um, because you're a because wait wait a second, just because you're a Yale man. Heaven's a Yale man. <laughs> Well, I mean, so I've been to the the, the HYP club here in oh, Pittsburgh. Wow. Uh, there's wow. no there's no rule against transacting business, as far as I'm aware. Um, <laughs> look, the the lawyer who comes from more money has more at their disposal. They'll they'll subtly flex that sometimes. The key word is subtly, right? This this yacht nonsense no actual human being would do to another human being because it's just going to make them mad and it's going to blow the settlement up. It's not going to intimidate them. It's going to fill them with rage and spite. Um, but it's a movie, right? They're going to dial that stuff up a little bit. Now, I thought it was an effective belittling. You know, I can afford to pay you whatever I want. I'm in complete control. You know, he set the negotiation that way. I thought it was effective. You don't sail? Oh, you're from Cornell? Oh, okay. I mean, he's gaining all the leverage and there's nothing that he can, that Schlickman can say back or Travolta can say back because he wants him to, to get paid. Well, what leverage can he say when somebody holds that over you, right? I thought it was exactly what I would do. I don't know what poor Cornell did to deserve the treatment that it got here, but, but sure, like there is a real thing involved where 
depending on where you are professionally and where your clients are professionally, the threshold of life-changing money for, for individual plaintiffs, certainly, and often for kind of underdog attorneys is just different than it is for these giant companies. And large companies and insurance companies know that and rely on that to, you know, to their advantage. They, it makes no difference to them as far as their balance sheets or whatever, whether they pay you $2 million or $20 million. Uh, but they know, they know what it means for you and for your client when you pass on real money in your hand, life-changing money in your hands, uh, because you still think it's, it's not enough to really be just or fair. Yeah. I mean, let me play one more scene for you. So before I play this one, this clip bears a little explanation because just hearing the audio might be a little confusing. So for those who haven't seen the film, this is a brilliantly edited sequence where we are bouncing around from watching the Robert Duvall character teaching in a classroom to a courtroom where he and Travolta are battling, and then to a bathroom in the courthouse, and then back to a classroom, and then back to the courtroom, bouncing all around throughout the clip. I, when you listen, I think you'll get the picture because it all adds up to something great. Now, the single greatest liability a lawyer can have is pride. Pride has lost more cases than lousy evidence, idiot witnesses, and a hanging judge all put together. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Yes. Mr. Riley, you own the property referred to often in this courtroom as the 15 acres, do you not? No, I don't. That land is currently owned by a nonprofit corporation called the Wildwood Conservancy. Oh, yes, yes, here it is, the Wildwood Conservancy. Now, what is that, some kind of conservation group? Yes, sir. I've donated the land as a sanctuary for indigent wildlife. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't think the indigent wildlife has heard about this, Mr. Riley. I've been out there on several occasions, and I've yet to see a single bird or any other living thing. I get him to say, no, 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 no. Then he says, yes, once. Got him. He's not that stupid. You leave him up there long enough, he's going to figure out a way to get you. I'm not that stupid. Mr. Riley, experts have testified in this court that your land, your 15 acres, is the most grotesquely polluted land in all of New England. Now, you have no idea how it got that way? No, sir. Does it upset you to learn this? Very much so. Really? Why? And one last thing. Unless you know exactly what the answer is going to be, never, ever ask a witness why. Never. My factory is the oldest surviving business in Woolburn. When the other tanners moved out, I stayed. Even though for me that was a very big financial burden. This is not the I question. I stayed because Woolburn is my home. Mr. Riley, it's Your Honor, this is home. not the question. He's trying that to I answer would... it, Mr. Slickman. Well, he's not you're answering just to let him. That land has been in my family for three generations. That land to me is hallowed ground. So when you ask me, would I be upset if someone came onto that land and desecrated it? land that's part of the town that I love? My answer to your question, Mr. Schichtman, is yes. I have no further questions, Your Honor. In terms of what really happens in a courtroom, this is what happens. I mean, not only does it have great direct examination by Travolta, who is a very good lawyer in this movie, but it has the start and stop where you have a direct examination and it's going poorly, Bill, you can, you know what I'm talking about. And the lawyers are in the bathroom or in the hallway talking about, okay, where do we go from here? So it's real. 
And then the statements by Duvall as he's teaching his law school class, he's real humble. He says, the single greatest liability a lawyer can have is pride. And the lesson of what he says on examination, I mean, this is a this is a movie that every law student should watch. Not only don't ask a question you, you don't know the answer to, but he goes even farther and says, unless you know the answer, never ask a witness why. I mean, great, great legal advice. I will grant you this. This is a very legally legal movie from 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 all appearances here, um, but I'm not in any particular hurry to go out and watch it. I, I get my fill of direct and cross-examination in my day-to-day life. I don't need it pumped into me uh, with my with my downtime as well. Well, that's that's my fifth round selection. I think it's one of the greatest legal films of all time. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for your arguments. I'm going to make my final decision on these last two movies. I have to say, Noah, that you, you've made a really good case for a civil action. Uh, let me start by saying you're, you're right. It is star-studded. I love all of these actors, Gandolfini, Sidney Pollack. And let me mention that there is a connection between the two movies in Robert Duvall, who is absolutely killing it in the clips that I heard from a civil action and also appears in To Kill a Mockingbird as Boo Radley, one of his first roles ever. So there's a really interesting connection there for me. This movie for Travolta, I think, came at the right time in his career. It came after 1994's Pulp Fiction, where he had his rebirth, but before Battlefield Earth in 2000, which completely has ruined his reputation. So this he's definitely at the peak of his skill, at the peak of his popularity, and, and the peak of his reputation here. And, and again, doing a, a great job. This does sound like an intelligent, thoughtful movie, and I have not seen it. It intrigued me. Your presentation of it intrigued me to want to see it. Now, as for Kill, To Kill a Mockingbird, yes, it is one of my favorite movies of all time. And as much as I love Gregory Peck, if anyone were to orate like he did in a real-life courtroom, I think they would be seen as too dramatic. We love to hear him talk like that, but don't you agree that someone actually yes, delivering, yes. it would it would come off as, as fake and, and phony? By, it's not legally accurate. Right. By God! You know, if anyone did that, I think, I think they would lose the jury. Um, in addition, one big objection that people are having to this movie is that it's a bit dated in that it it uses the white savior trope it does uh, which which is now becoming a little bit out of favor and i have i have to agree there um it is one of my favorite movies but it is kind of a downer uh, i have seen it several times would i watch it again maybe not the whole thing parts of it um i am leaning towards uh seeing a civil action i want to see that now and so in this case and especially because we said the main criterion is 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 legal accuracy and it really does sound like a civil action has a lot of true legal accuracy in it i'm gonna go with a civil action and i'm going to actually try to look it up and and watch it this weekend Can we give Bill a participation trophy? Well, what I'm going to say is that let's leave it to our listeners to take the five movies and in the comments decide which they think is the best of the five. And that could be the the overall winner. Love it. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. I believe the appellate record is clear um, and that I've preserved all applicable objections um, necessary to go forward and 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 reassess what I believe is a finding against the weight of the evidence. 
Well, uh, regrettably from my perspective, that should about do it for this episode of I Strenuously Object. But, but, my appellate rights remain intact. Uh, there will be a poll up uh, on our Instagram account. That is, the, the Instagram here is I Strenuously Object Podcast. So go visit that Instagram, uh, vote for what you think is uh, the best legal movie, uh, or tell us what you think we've overlooked. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Tell your friends about it. Download us, subscribe to us, uh, listen to us. If you have any questions for our Mailing It In segment uh, or feedback you'd like to email to the podcast, uh, our email address is iobject at pghfirm.com. Maybe not for more information on legal movies, but for any other legal needs that you might have, please do visit uh, our website at pghfirm.com. That is the website for our law firm, Flaherty Fargo. Uh, until next time, some parting advice. Stop breaking the law, asshole! Producer Mike, are we adjourned? We are adjourned. Wait, how did he get to adjourn us? I thought I was the judge. Not today. Ah, uh-huh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs>